Hello and welcome to the Activate Podcast. My name is Jill Pelkey. If you'd like to hear more Activate Podcast, you can look it up on soundcloud.com or on iTunes. We're going to pray and then we're going to get right into the Word of God. Jesus, I thank you for loving us so completely. Jesus, I thank you for your sacrifice on the cross that made us in right relationship, right standing with God the Father. Lord, I thank you for guiding our lives. I thank you for being with us this morning. God, I pray that right now you would set our minds on you. You would set our hearts on you. God, I pray that you would open us up to hear a word from you. God, I pray that it would change our lives, change our attitudes and our directions, that God, we would listen to your wisdom because your wisdom is higher than ours. Your thoughts are higher than ours. You're God, and we're not. And so, God, we come under your teaching. God, we come under who you are, and we ask that you would speak to us, guide us, and direct us. Help us to have ears to hear and minds to understand. Help us to change to be more and more like your son, Jesus. Amen. You know, as I was preparing for this day, I was reminded of a time when I had a car full of friends, and we were headed to a meeting. And we put it in the GPS, and we set off, and we were turn by turn following every direction that the GPS sent us on. I was in the back with my phone uh, saying the directions out loud or listening to them on the phone. And uh, we had traveled a couple hours, and we were in the town that we were supposed to be in, and the GPS announced, as it always does, uh, those wonderful words that you love to hear, you have arrived. (laughs) So uh, the GPS says, you have arrived. And so we stop the car, we look around, and we are literally surrounded by cornfields. There's nothing, no building, no stop signs, no other cars, nothing. We are in the middle of absolutely nowhere. And the GPS says, you have arrived. Well, (laughs) we clearly had not arrived. And so... um, It just reminds me of our lives sometimes. We listen turn by turn to directions, but we don't even realize that we're listening to the wrong directions. And then we end up in a place that we never intended to be. We don't end up at the right destination. We end up in the middle of nowhere. And I know that God's plan for your life, his plan for my life is not that we end up nowhere, but we end up in a destination that he has planned for us, that we end up uh, following directions that are wholesome and good and directions that come from him and not the wrong directions. And we're going to take a look today in, in the Bible and the book of Galatians where Paul is talking to the church there. And he says, you're going to end up in the wrong place if you keep following these faulty directions. Your course is off. Your directional directions that have been given to you are not right. Realign to where you're supposed to be going. And so many times in our lives, that's what God does to us. Almost daily, God does that for me. Realign. Remember who you are. Remember your identity in Christ. Don't get off course. Don't be uh, tricked or um, listen to a voice that's not God's. And it's so easy for us. Um, The Bible talks a lot about how the enemy is against us and wants to get us off course. And he doesn't need uh, people who don't believe, the enemy doesn't need people who don't believe in God. He just needs people who aren't listening to God. And a lot of times that ends up being us if we're not careful, if we're not paying attention, if we're not alert and sober and actively seeking the Lord. So we're going to start off uh, in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 5. This is the Ten Commandments, the great Ten Commandments given to Moses. Now the people of 
God were released from slavery. They were free from uh, having to be forced into slave labor, into making bricks, into serving someone else. And now they were free to serve God. And God says, here's where you're going to find freedom. I'm going to give you these commands to keep you safe. I'm going to give you these commands to make you holy and righteous. And follow all of these commands, and you can come into the presence of a holy God. And here are those commands laid out clearly. Um, Deuteronomy 5.1, Moses summons all Israel and says this, Hear, O Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. Verse 6 starts out with commandment number one. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Commandment number two, you shall not make for yourself an image in any form, anything in heaven above or earth below or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Commandment number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Number four, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Uh, skipping to verse 16, commandment number five, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long and that it may go well for you in the land the Lord your God has given you. Commandment number six, you shall not murder. Plain and simple. Uh, Commandment number seven, also plain and simple, you shall not commit adultery. Commandment number eight, you shall not steal. Commandment number nine, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. That means a lie. And finally, commandment number 10, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Saying, don't be jealous. All right, so those are the 10 commandments. Straightforward. Printed here in black and white English for us to read today. For the Israelite nation, they understood these Ten Commandments. They were clear and concise. There was also hundreds of other laws about how to be healthy and to maintain the society they were in. So, ten laws to follow. Ten commandments that the Lord gives his people. So, if we look at percentage-wise... This one's a pretty easy percent to understand. 100% of the people could not follow those Ten Commandments. That generation dies off. A new generation is born. 100% of those people could not follow the Ten Commandments. That generation dies off. A new generation is born. And so on and so on and so on. Until we get to the year 2018. And there's a new statistic. A hundred percent of the people could not follow those Ten Commandments laid out to Moses. You have not kept the Ten Commandments. I have not kept the Ten Commandments. There's been a moment in your life that you may have lied or stolen or been jealous or misused the name of the Lord or put something else before the Lord or in our actions bowed down to something other than God and God alone. Adultery, murder, 
100% of the human race has not kept the Ten Commandments. So why did God give us the Ten Commandments? He gave them to us because if we could keep them, we could live in a, a, a peaceful environment with one another, and we could live at peace with God. But we could not keep them. Why? Because there is sin in our hearts. There is sin in our DNA since the time of the sin in the Garden of Eden. We never teach a child to steal someone else's toy, and yet they naturally do it. We never teach a child to feel guilty when they've done something wrong, and yet you can naturally see it. It is in us. So why would God give us impossible things to follow? Why would he give us a law that we're supposed to follow that we cannot follow? Because the law was showing us our lack. It was showing us our need for him. Otherwise, we would think that we could do it on our own. We would think that we could become holy enough on our own. But God is showing us clearly that we cannot be holy like he is holy. He is God and we are not. He is erasing pride from the equation. He's taking a giant eraser and erasing that word pride and saying, listen, you're human beings created by me, God. I'm God. And then at just the right time, he sends Jesus. And Jesus comes and he takes on the sins of the world. He takes on our penalty. You know, if you're watching a hockey game and someone does something wrong in the hockey game, one of the players is put in the penalty box and they have to sit out for two plus minutes, depending on how bad the penalty was, how bad the thing they did wrong was. And they sit in the penalty box until they pay for their penalty with time off the ice and then they're back in the game. Jesus came and he took our penalty for us. And every time we sin, he takes the penalty for us on himself. He says, I have finished the payment by his blood sacrifice on the, on the cross. He's finished the payment for our sins forever. So no matter what we could do, it's not that we could go in the penalty box as well and say, all right, Jesus, I got this one. I'm going to take care of this sin. You've taken care of uh, all my sins up until this year. And this year, I'm going to take care of my sins for myself. This year, I'm going to pay the penalty. That's not how it works. There's no way we can pay the penalty. The penalty was bought with a, a life lived in purity, a life lived sinless, without sin. Jesus died without sin. He was the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice, the one without blemish or stain. And so he gave his life on our behalf. We cannot pay for our sins. There is nothing we can do to pay for our sins except believe in the one who already did it, and that's Jesus. We do all that backstory. We lay all that groundwork because now we're going to take a look in the book of Galatians and we're going to see people who have missed that foundational mark, who, who knew that foundational mark, and then began to follow another voice that said, go this way. And they end up in the middle of a field, like I did with my friends, in the middle of a field saying, we haven't arrived when all these voices have to told us that we have. So here we are in Galatians chapter 3. Paul, the apostle, is writing to a church that he began in Galatia. And uh, he says to them this, chapter 3, verse 1, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And bewitched means to enchant you or to gain control over you, make you look a different way than you're supposed to. Who's tricked you? You foolish church, who has tricked you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. So we just talked about this. Jesus was crucified once and for all for your sins. He was clearly portrayed to you. You know who he is. 
You know the depth of our sin and the covering that only could come through Jesus. And so he says, foolish church, you know who Jesus is. Verse two, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? And what Paul is saying here is you didn't do anything to earn Jesus. It wasn't how much of the law you could obey that got you to where you are today. It's only because of Jesus' sacrifice. Are you going backwards? Did you forget that it's through Jesus? Are you now trying to earn salvation by your good works? Because no matter how many good works you do, it's never going to measure up to what Jesus did. It's never even going to come close. In verse 5, it says, So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you? by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Do you receive the Spirit of God because you pray for so many minutes? Do you receive the Spirit of God because you give so much money in tithing? Do you receive the Spirit of God because you attend church faithfully for so many weeks in a row? Do you receive the Spirit of God because you have helped so many people? Do you receive the Spirit of God because you have a certain position of power? Do you receive the Spirit of God because you are rich? Do you receive the Spirit of God because you have position? The answer to all of those questions is no. We only receive the Spirit of God by faith in Jesus Christ. By grace alone do we receive the Spirit of God, do we receive our salvation. Period. So why now, after we have received forgiveness for our sins, we've received salvation and the Holy Spirit by faith, do we think that our good works are going to earn us those things? You could do all the good works you could even think of. You could complete them all and they wouldn't compare to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It is a free gift given to us. Just like the Israelites were freed from Egypt. They were no longer slaves. They were free. We are now free from the law of sin and death. We are now free from the sin that used to entangle us. Because Jesus paid for us to be free. We no longer have to be caught up in a web of lies. We no longer have to be caught up in adultery. We no longer have to be caught up in sin. We are free because of Jesus. Paul in chapter 4 of Galatians says this in verse 8. He says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. We were slaves to sin. We were slaves to greed and to jealousy and to the desires of our hearts. In verse 9 he says, But now you know God, or rather are known by God. How is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years, and I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. In the beginning of, ch of chapter 3, he said, Who's tricked you into thinking that your good works? Who's tricked you into thinking that the things that you can do will get you the Spirit of God? Your church attendance does not gain you salvation. Tithing does not gain you salvation. Jesus gains you salvation. And because you know Jesus, there's an overflow in your life. And you don't brag about going to church. And you don't brag about the things you've done or the things that you've given. You don't brag about anything except for the person of Jesus Christ. 
You are hidden in him. And so you can brag about my God is good. My God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. My God is good. But instead we switched it around and we begin to brag about ourselves. And pride is put back in the occasion. Pride is written back in by our own hand when Jesus erased it. Not only are we trying to earn our salvation after it's already been given to us for free, we're doing something else. We're turning back to sin as if it could save us. You have been set free, and now you are turning back to sin as if it could save you. You've already been saved. And so we look at things in our lives that we put our identity in, and Jesus says, put your identity in me and me alone. You are a child of God, set free from the entanglement of sin, set free from the guilt, set free from the shame, set free from all the ugliness of sin. You are righteous, redeemed, and holy, hidden in Jesus. And yet you run back to a crutch as if Jesus wasn't strong enough. We find our identity in so many things. How do you know what your identity is found in? Well, when you're mad, what do you run towards? Do you run towards gossip or towards Jesus? When you're hurt, do you run towards ice cream or Jesus? When things are difficult in your life, what do you use as a crutch to get by? Do you smoke or drink or gamble or check out of life? Or do you run to the word of God, the only thing that can truly satisfy your soul? When you're happy, what do you run towards? Many of us have identity issues and we don't even realize it. We have made other things gods in our lives and we don't even realize it. We have a GPS that is leading us into the middle of a field. And we think we're going to arrive somewhere glorious and we arrive nowhere. This happens when we put our identity in our children. When we live our lives through the ups and downs of they like us or not. Or if things are going well with our children or not, then things are going well in our lives. There's a steadfastness. There is a rock we stand on, and that's Jesus Christ. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he never changes. He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He will never leave you or forsake you. He will never turn his back on you. He is the one we put our trust in. Not on the rise and fall of the uh, things that our children do or do not do, whether they like us or don't like us. We are steadfast in Jesus. He's given us our children to look after, after, to mother, to father, to raise. But yet our identity is not found in motherhood. Our identity is not found in fatherhood. Our identity is not found in our job. It is found in the person of Jesus Christ and the fact that I am a child, a member of the family of God. I am a citizen of heaven and not of earth. I, I press on to the mark. I look towards eternity. I set my, my eyes on things above. I am guided and directed by the wisdom and knowledge of Jesus, not the wisdom and knowledge of the world. Because the things that the world says are good about you are not the same things that, that God says is good about you. We have to have a measuring stick of Jesus and what he says and what he says is good. So our identity cannot be found in our children. Our identity cannot be found in our marriage or in our relationships. 
Our identity has to be steadfast in God. When my relationship is good with my husband, then my life is good. When it's bad with my husband, then my life is bad. That cannot be. Our steady steadfastness comes from a rock that doesn't move. He helps us through every trial and situation. Many times our worth is found in our finances, on the vacation I can go on, or the car I can drive, or the things I can own, or the way I can present myself to other people. That cannot be. Our worth is found in Jesus alone. Our position and power or job or, or um, place on the ladder of social standings cannot be our crutch, cannot be our identity. You're okay because you are a child of God. You're not okay because someone likes all your things on Facebook or shares your posts or, or affirms you or encourages you. That doesn't make you okay. What makes you okay is the word of God that says you are justified, set free, and holy because of Jesus. The battle's already over. The battle's already won. You're on the side of freedom. Why are you going back to Egypt? Why are you going back to things that can tell you lies? Why are you listening to a GPS that's leading you nowhere? The GPS of finances, of friends, of relationships, of children will not lead you to the place that Jesus Christ will lead you. We need to set our feet on a ground that doesn't shake or move with times and situations. Jesus never changes. Who bewitched you? Who tricked you into following some other uh, idea that you could be saved by how good you are? Or that sin will save you? Neither one. The only person that saves us is Jesus Christ. And the enemy will do whatever he can to be a GPS leading you to nowhere. But I'm telling you today, the only GPS that can lead you to heaven is Jesus Christ himself and the word of God. Paul in Galatians 4, 16 says, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Jesus says, know the truth and the truth will set you free. Stop entangling yourself in sin, thinking it will save you. Stop putting your identity in things other than Jesus. The 10 commandments are very clear. Don't have any other gods besides our God. Don't kneel before anything else besides God. Don't check out of life. But let God come and not be a crutch for you, but be a complete healer. He heals our very hearts, our very souls. He takes the things that we didn't even know were broken in us and he heals them. The Bible calls him the balm of Gilead. He is an ointment. They say he's the rose of Sharon. He is that thing that heals us completely in a way that ice cream never could, in a way that our girlfriends or boyfriends never could, in a way that our children never will or our marriage never will. Our husbands are not supposed to save us. Our children are not supposed to save us. Our friends are not supposed to save us. It's Jesus Christ that saves us. He is our salvation. He is our shield. He is our defender. He is our hope. But when our hope is misplaced, when we are misguided into thinking that other things in this world will get us through, that alcohol will get us through, that this little crutch will get us through, that disappearing for a while will get us through. The only thing that is steadfast and sure, that has been steadfast and sure for generation after generation after generation, that it was true for your grandparents and will be true for your grandchildren, is that Jesus Christ is the hope of our lives. He is the hope for our souls. He is the hope for our very peace. He is the Prince of Peace. Who's tricked you? Who has made you think that sin will help you? 
Who has made you think that good works will save you? There is only one Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. Let's read Galatians 3 again. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain? if it really was in vain. So again, I ask you, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you've heard? There's no amount of things that you can do to earn your salvation. There's also no amount of sin that will come and be a crutch and be in place of Jesus. Jesus Christ is clearly presented to you as the answer. The spirit is clearly given to you freely by grace. Stop doing works to earn your salvation, but do works, do good things out of the overflow of who Jesus Christ is in your life. Go to church, tithe, give, do good, because Jesus is spurring you on, because Jesus is giving you direction and wisdom, not because you're trying to earn salvation. Salvation has already been bought and paid for by a perfect and spotless Savior that we could never be. Stop trying to be your own Savior You are not going to save yourself. Jesus already saved you. Stop going back into slavery. Stop putting yourself in the penalty box. It doesn't matter how many minutes you stay there. You will never pay the penalty. Jesus paid it for you. And likewise, stop thinking that sin is going to be your savior. Stop thinking that you are going to come and you're going to fix your own life. It is only the Holy Spirit of God with his supernatural wisdom that is going to come and fix your heart. Stop uh, looking for relationships, money, or people to fix you. Jesus is your salvation. Let's pray together. God, I thank you. You are the Alpha and the Omega, meaning you are the beginning and the end. God, I thank you that you work out our salvation in us. God, I pray for those that are struggling this morning. God, I pray for those that have a crutch that they're leaning on. God, I pray that they would give up their crutch. They would have faith and depend on you to completely heal them. That, God, we wouldn't depend on uh, other vices, that our only vice would be the Lord our God, that our attention would be fully on you, that you would come and be everything that we need to live life and to live it your way. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, which was once and for all. Jesus, I pray for those who are trying to earn their salvation by good works or who think that they themselves are their own saviors. God, I pray that we would turn from sin and we live for you that, God, we would do good things out of the abundance of what you've done for us and not to try to earn our salvation. God, I pray that we would love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we would love other people as ourselves. God, we want to live for you. God, we thank you for your word. I pray that it would go deep into our hearts. I pray that our foundation would be sure. God, I pray that when we get to the end of where we're going, we wouldn't just be in a field, not even sure where we are, but God, we would press on to the mark that you have set. And that God, we would be on mission for you, that you would change us, that you would direct us. Lord, we put our lives in your hands and we thank you that you care so much about us. Help us to trust you even more day by day. In Jesus' name, amen.